through 13. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. Just one week from today, we're going to have Brother Wesley and Sister Shelley Hazel with us. Uh, they're actually going to be here Friday evening, and we'll be conducting a marriage seminar both Friday evening and Saturday morning. You're welcome to attend that. Even if you're not married, you're welcome to attend. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you would, please sign up today so that we can get a count for those who plan to attend on Friday night and Saturday, and you can, you can uh, note if you're not going to be at one of those sessions and uh, that way we'll be able to prepare for resources and those kinds of things. But be looking forward to this, uh, be prayerful about this. Brother Wesley will be uh, speaking in the auditorium on Sunday morning uh, this coming week and also Shelly, I believe, is going to be teaching a ladies class over in the education building on Sunday morning this coming week. And, uh, and then Wesley will be preaching both Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And I know you'll enjoy getting to know them. Uh, please be prayerful about this particular event. Again, just coming up this coming Friday night. I'm glad the church needs deacons. It means that there are good things happening among God's people. And I'm glad that the elders think it's important for us as a congregation to spend time thinking about what a deacon is. Open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to look at verses 8 through 13 that Larry just read a moment ago. 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 13. We're going to be looking at these qualifications that are mentioned in some detail in a moment. I want you to notice as you look at the book of 1 Timothy, it's a book that deals with roles in the church. As a matter of fact, if you look at the verse right after the deacon qualifications, 1 Timothy 3 verse 14, Paul tells you why he wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 14, he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but, verse 15, 1 Timothy 3, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Why is this book written to us? Paul says, I'm writing this so that you may know how God wants you to conduct yourself in the church. He had just gotten through talking about the qualifications of elders, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, and the qualifications of deacons, verses 8 through 13. This is how God wants us to conduct ourselves in the church. It's important for churches to be scripturally organized. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. He is the undisputed leader. When we abandon the authority of Jesus Christ, we are abandoning what he intended the church to be in the first place. 
He is the head of the body. He is the savior of the body. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And again, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. Jesus is our head. He is our leader. But when you look at the New Testament, the Bible indicates that there were local congregations, like the one that meets here right now in this place, all over the world. And every local congregation had overseers, shepherds, older men who were experienced in the ways of God, who were appointed as elders, as shepherds, as bishops over the people of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, after new churches were planted, Paul and his compatriots went back through the places where they had planted congregations. And in Acts 14, verse 23, they appointed elders in every church. Additionally, when you read passages like 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, you note that there were also men who served as deacons in local churches. I would, I would hasten to add, it is men who are authorized by God to serve as deacons. If you're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to notice that one of the qualifications for one who would serve as a deacon in verse, 13, or verse 12 is that he must be the husband of one wife. And he must be a man that has children as well, it says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 12. So before you go any, way, any further in submitting names to our current elders, remember we're appointing men who are married, who have children. That is the qualification that God gives for one who would serve as a deacon. We're also looking for several deacons, I believe. I think that the, uh, there, there are a number of roles that are unfilled, a number of responsibilities that the elders need filled. I think the number I saw uh, kind of bouncing around in emails among the elders was something like seven or more uh, men. So we're looking for a, quite a number of people who would serve as deacons. Just for your help and your information's sake, if you are currently a deacon in the congregation here, we've got quite a few, if you are currently serving as a deacon right now today in this congregation, would you please stand up so we can see who you are? If you're currently serving as a deacon, would you please stand? Look around you, these are men who are currently and have been for quite a while serving as deacons in the church here in Katy. Thank you very much, you may be seated. We want as God's people to respect God's word when it comes to this subject or any other. And so with that in mind, let's study what the Bible has to say about what a deacon is. Let's do it this way. In the first place, let's just ask the simple question, what is a deacon? The word for deacon is actually what we call a transliteration. We took the word right out of the Greek language and brought it into English. It is the Greek word diakonos, diakonos. It sounds like deacon, doesn't it? That's because it's a transliteration. And the word means, among many other, um, many other nuances, the word means it is someone who stirs up the dust by hastening. If you've ever seen someone really shuffling along a dusty road on a windy day, the dust is just stirring up. The idea of a deacon then is someone who is a servant and they are stirring up the dust. They are not letting the dust settle. So when we're looking for men to serve as deacons among the church here, we're looking for men who are servants, who are workers. We're looking for people who by their character have exhibited this kind of zeal in serving God. And I want you to know that the word diakonos is actually a very generic word. It is the word that means servant in the New Testament. 
And so you have the word diakonos, deacon, used in the sense of the government, for example. In, in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, the government, it says in the Greek language, is God's deacon for your good. He is God's servant. And so God can talk about governments that are serving him by serving us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes about New Testament preachers, preachers of the gospel. And he says, you, if you are continuing these things, you, all, you will be a good servant, a good deacon of Jesus Christ. Again, diakonos. So the word's being used in a generic sense to mean one who is a servant. Jesus used this word to describe his servants. If you are a servant of Jesus Christ in a generic sense, this word applies to you, diakonos. So all of us ought to be people who hasten to, to kick up the dust, people who stir up the dust in, in our service to God and our loyalty to who Jesus is. All of us ought to be in that sense, deacons. But there is a special sense, an official sense in which the word is used, and that's what's under consideration this morning. A couple of passages to think about, and I'll show you these passages in just a moment in more detail. Philippians 1 verse 1 uses the word diakonos in an unusual sense, in an official capacity. And again, in 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 8 if you would, you've got likewise deacons must be reverent, diakonos, but then he gives some qualifications. It's not just using the word in a generic sense. And then in verse 12, the same thing happens in 1 Timothy 3. Let me show you. It is used to describe an office. Back in Philippians 1 verse 1, when Paul writes the letter to Philippi, he says, I'm writing this to all the saints, every Christian is a saint, with the elders and deacons. So there is a distinction that's being made. The elders, men who are older, men who are appointed to a role that's created by God. And then deacons, men who are special servants to the glory of God in an official capacity, in an official sense, that is more than and in addition to the common use of the word diakonos. And again, 1 Timothy 3 verse 8 and 1 Timothy 3 verse 12, there are special qualifications in this passage that do not apply to all Christians. Not everybody among us can be the husband of one wife for many reasons. Not everybody among us has children and not everyone among us rules our house well. But all of us can be servants in the generic sense. Not all of us though can be servants, deacons in the official sense that's being spoken about here in 1 Timothy 3 and again in Philippians chapter 1. So when the question is asked, what is a deacon? He is a special servant to the glory of God, appointed by the elders to a specific task for the help and the functioning of the New Testament church. That's what a deacon is. By the way, it's always plural in the official sense. That's interesting. The word elder is always plural when it's used in the official sense, when it's used to describe the office of, a, of an older man, a, an overseer but so is the word deacon as well. Second question this morning, what does a deacon do? If there is this official capacity, if there is this special sense in which the word is used and there's this special office in the Lord's church that describes someone who would serve as a deacon, what are they supposed to do? I had a preacher friend one time, true story, who owned a mule. It was the most stubborn animal he had ever encountered. You know what he named the mule? 
deacon. And he got a lot of mileage out of that as a preacher. He thought that was hilarious. I'm going to name my mule deacon. And, and you know, and, and everybody, he was, he was happy to tell people about that. And he told jokes about how deacons didn't do what they were supposed to be doing. I'll tell you something. There are a lot of congregations that organization-wise are very scriptural. They have elders, they have deacons. But when it comes to functioning, it's been my observation and maybe yours too that in a lot of places, the preachers, the local evangelists are doing the work of the elders. The elders are doing the work of the deacons and the deacons aren't doing much at all. Very frequently, that's the way many congregations choose to operate. That's not right, it's not pleasing to God. So what does a deacon do? Let's talk about what they are not. Deacons in the first place are not, just because there's some misconceptions in our minds. Deacons are not just junior elders. As you look at 1 Timothy 3, you'll notice there are many similarities, much overlap between what qualifies a man to serve as a deacon in verses 8 through 13 and what qualifies a man to serve as an elder in verses 1 through 7. Because of that, it's natural that many men who serve as deacons later on in their lives are qualified to serve as elders. That's a wonderful thing, but that is not what a deacon is per se. A deacon is not a junior elder. They are not overseers in the sense that an elder is an overseer. They are not watching for souls in the way that elders are charged to watch for souls. Deacons are servants. Secondly, what are they not? They are not over, and this is a misconception, over quote unquote material things rather than spiritual. I've heard people say things like that over the years, that, you know, the elders are over the spiritual matters, you know, the elders give themselves to the word of God and prayer, and they, they counsel with people, and they visit with people, and they, 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 uh, they think about the teaching that's happening in the local congregation, and the deacons are just over things like light bulbs and air conditioners. Those are the material things. Let me tell you something. Light bulbs and air conditioners have a spiritual application, a spiritual element to them as well when it comes to the functioning and the well-being of the people of God. And when we think about in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, there was a dispute that happened in the early church where some of the widows were being neglected in the daily ministry. And the apostles said, we need seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom to appoint over this business. It was very similar work to what we see the work of deacons being in 1 Timothy 3. And what those deacons were, what those people were doing in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, what those men of faith were doing was every bit as spiritual, even though they're meeting physical needs, every bit as spiritual as what the apostles were doing, giving themselves to the word of God and to prayer. So let's not make that distinction. You know, there's a material side of the church and a spiritual side of the church and never the twain shall meet. I don't know where you, where you leave one out and say the other one begins. Biblically, I don't. Third, what are deacons not? They are not lone rangers. And if you are currently a deacon and you're functioning as a lone ranger, you're doing it wrong. I'll just say that happily, but you're doing it wrong. I don't want to be unkind. Deacons are over various areas of work that the elders give them to do. But if you're trying to do your work all by yourself, you're not enlisting help from the congregation, you're not asking others and networking with others to work in your area of service, you're trying to be the lone ranger and that's not God's will. 
We are God's fellow workers, and we work together with one another, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. That's God's will, even for men who serve as deacons. Next, what are deacons to do? What do they do? Just a number of things to think about. Number one, they are active servants. Acts chapter, excuse me, John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus says, after he washes the apostles' feet, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. These are men who serve actively. They're not waiting for somebody else to tell them what to do. They are active in their work. They are active in their labors. Did you know what the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26? It says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy man to those who send him. When we are lazy in our work, it is irritating to others. Deacons aren't like that. They hasten to kick up the dust in serving God. Secondly, deacons are enthusiastic in doing good. They are zealous for good works. Titus chapter two, verse 14. They want the church to grow. They want the gospel to go forth into all the world. They want the plan of God to see success in the community here in Katy and throughout the world. Therefore, they are enthusiastic. They are promoters of peace, deacons are. They're not divisive. They're not seeking arguments. They're not trying to constantly criticize and find fault, but rather they are promoters of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Deacons are the epitome of men who would make peace among the people of God. They are dependable. When they are given a task, when they are given a responsibility, these are men that you can count on. They are men that you can know are going to fulfill the task. They're gonna see it through to the end. They're going to do what they've been asked to do. And then they are enablers, if you will, for the eldership. You know what happens when elders start to do the work of deacons, you know what happens? All of a sudden there is a bottleneck, a bottleneck. It's like one of those two liter bottles and, and everything comes down to that one little teeny tiny hole at the bottom. All the, all whatever's in the bottle can't get out because it's all gotta go through that choke point. When elders start to take on the work of deacons and elders think that that's their job, we've gotta make decisions about all the things deacons ought to be making decisions for, all of a sudden the work that God wants done instead of decentralizing and allowing people to be empowered to do what God desires to be done, all of a sudden everybody's gotta start running all their decisions by this small group of men known as the elders and suddenly the work is not fulfilled, it's not complete. That's why elders have deacons. That's why God in his wisdom and his design for the church made it so that deacons could take care of things that enable the elders to continue what's really important for elders to do. Watching for souls, feeding the flock, watching for those that are false teachers. Those are the kinds of things that God has charged elders with doing. Deacons enable them to do so. Remember Acts chapter six and verse four, it is not good that we should leave the word of God and prayer to serve tables. Let's find seven men who can, we can put over this business. That's what deacons do, generally speaking. Incidentally, when you think about areas of work here at Katy, just a couple to think about, we have deacons that are responsible for what happens in our worship service. You would probably be amazed to know how much work goes into just one quote unquote ordinary worship service. How many people have to be coordinated with, especially now that we use things like paperless hymnal, how many decisions have to be made, how many last, you'd be amazed when it comes to buildings and grounds. Our buildings are not getting any younger. 
how much has to be done. You'd be amazed in coordinating events like Mega Monday or Vacation Bible School, how much time has to be invested in helping people to get on the same page about things like that. Finances, who writes the checks, who pays the bills? I'm talking about the, the brass tax. Deacons are responsible for doing a lot of these works. And we need additional help to continue to develop and to grow as a congregation in a lot of different areas. That's what deacons do. Next, who is qualified to serve as a deacon? Look at your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I will talk about these briefly. By the way, there's a uh, an explanation on the handouts that are out there in the, in the foyer that Kevin Kane talked about this morning that you can get on your way out. Who's qualified to serve as a deacon? If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, likewise, deacons must be reverent or dignified, some translations say. That's the first thing. We're talking about men who are serious when it's time to be serious. Men who are not flippant about things that are spiritual, things that are, that are important. These are men who know what it means to revere and to love and to serve God. They're dignified. Doesn't mean they can't be jokey, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, jokesters, but it does mean that when it's time to be serious, they know what that means. Secondly, in verse eight, they are not double-tongued. You know when they talk to you that they're not talking out both sides of their mouth. You know that they're not speaking with a forked tongue. They are not slanderers. They are not critics. They are not gossips. But rather, what you see is what you get. They tell it to you straight. They are kind and gentle but forthright in the way that they speak to others. And there's integrity there. When you look at the qualifications, it says they are not to be given to or addicted to, the ESV says, much wine. Alcohol is not a part of this man's life, is the idea. Just stop right there, because I know some of you are going to want to argue with me. Look in your Bible, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. And I want you to look at what the Scripture says in the Old Testament book of Proverbs chapter 20, and I want you to look at verse 1. Some people have looked at what it says about deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and said, well, it says he's not to be given to much wine, therefore a little bit's okay. Must be that way for deacons, you know, just a little bit's okay, isn't it? Because it says not given to much wine. Look at Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 and look at what the scripture says. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What are you going to do with that verse? What are you going to do with the Bible's many warnings about how drunkenness is the works of the flesh? Galatians chapter 5 verse 21. What are you going to do about passages like 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 where it says, now that you've become a Christian, your friends all think you're strange because you don't drink with them anymore. You don't go to parties like that anymore. You've stopped that lifestyle. You've stopped doing those things. What are you going to do about passages like those if you're going to argue, oh, it's okay for a dick to drink just a little bit. What are you going to do about all those things? We're looking for someone who is above reproach when it comes to the way he handles or deals with alcohol. That's important, biblically. As you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8, I want you to look. He is not greedy for money. He's not greedy for money. He shows financial integrity in his life. His debt is not out of control. His life is not out of control where finances are concerned. And he certainly 
doesn't evidence or show in his life that he's one that would do something unethical when it comes to finances. You think about some of the roles that deacons are put in, that's a very important qualification. As you continue, look at 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. He holds the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith is just another way of speaking about the gospel. The gospel. He holds the gospel with a pure conscience. He lives the gospel. He breathes the gospel, he follows the gospel, and he teaches the gospel to others when he has opportunity. And I'll say something here. One of the things that the elders historically here at Katy have done, historically, our eldership has challenged the deacons individually to be involved in personal Bible studies. Over the years, that's been consistent. And I'm thankful that our elders do that challenging our deacons to be involved in personal Bible study, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience because if I know what the gospel has done for me, why would I not be willing to tell somebody else what the gospel can do for them and how Jesus loves them too? Deacons hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. They are living and practicing what they preach. Continuing, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. It says they have already been tested. Then let them serve as deacons. Do you want to know a recipe for misery in the Lord's church? Here it is. Well, brother so-and-so is not very faithful in his attendance. He's certainly not involved in anything. Let's make him a deacon. Let's give him an assignment. And then good things will happen. That is the backwards wrong way to appoint deacons or Bible class teachers, or anybody else. Let them first be tested. We're looking for men that you already see these qualifications. They are already servants. They are already zealous in doing good. Look for those kind of men and appoint those kind of men to be deacons. Let them first be tested. Then allow them to become deacons. Continuing, we're gonna come back to verse 11 in just a moment. Verse 12, they are to be husbands of one wife. Here is a man whose marriage is in harmony with God's will and he loves his wife. He's devoted to his wife. It is obvious that in his marriage relationship that this is something he's concerned about and something that he is focused on to the glory of God. He is a one woman man. Not only that, but he rules his children and his own house well. By implication, a deacon has children, it says in verse 12 and he rules them well. They are not out of control. They are not rebellious, but rather they are being guided by their father, brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Those are the qualifications that God gives, not our ideas, not our suggestions, God's commands. Those are the qualifications. Now go back to verse 11 for just a moment. Verse 11 is curious because it's just sandwiched right in here in the list of qualifications of deacons. My translation says in verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Couple of things. There are a couple of schools of thought about what this verse is referring to. The word there for women or wives is gune, G-U-N-E in Greek. And it can be translated as women generally, or it can be translated as wives specifically. It could, verse 11, refer to the wives of deacons. 
as a matter of qualification, we ought to look at a deacon and then we ought to look at his wife. And is his wife demonstrating these kinds of qualifications, these kinds of qualities. But an interesting thing about that, a couple of interesting things, there's no qualification for wives of elders. When you look at verses one through eight, there's, there's no qualification given for those who would serve as elders' wives. It's just kind of curious. Why would God be so interested in the wives of deacons, but not so much as a word about the wives of those who serve as elders? Another way to look at this is to think about, and legitimately so, this could refer to women who serve the church in the first century, but did not violate principles found in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. They're not usurping the authority of men. They're not speaking and, and teaching and, and reading scripture and leading prayers and things like that when men are present. They're not doing those things, but they're working in a capacity of service on behalf of the church. For example, someone who would coordinate in a congregation, the ladies Bible class, someone who would coordinate the third grade curriculum in a, in a local congregation. You might want a lady to do some of those things. Someone to take care of if there is a problem among the younger ladies and there needs to be some kind of program to oversee some, some aspect of ministry. You might want a lady to kind of oversee that because she's got a perspective that maybe someone who serves in an official capacity as a deacon doesn't. And so women who serve in that way, someone who would serve as a receptionist or a secretary for a local church. Who would you want in that role? I believe in my judgment, the second way there, the women who served is what's intended. The idea is not that these are deaconesses, because again, a deacon is someone who is to be the husband of one wife, verse 12, but these are, if you're gonna put a woman in some kind of place where she's gonna help and serve among the people of God, this is what you're looking for temperamentally, character-wise. Who's qualified to serve as a deacon? As you look at all those things, it's been my observation over the years that people get wrapped up in, is the man married? And is the man a father? Those kinds of things. And they get less concerned about the character questions. Is he, does he show integrity with money? Is he double-tongued? Is he someone who is uh, greedy and, and those kinds of things? We're less concerned about that sometimes than we are about the family qualifications. God wants men who can serve with distinction, serve in a way that blesses the local church. And I want you to look at verse 13 as we bring this to a close. For those who have served well, 1 Timothy 3 verse 13, as deacons, they obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. They obtain great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. What happens when deacons serve well? There's a reward involved. The blessings, they abound to everyone. In the first place, the gospel message is magnified because people are doing what God has ordained that they do in the local body. Not only is the gospel magnified, but people's faith is built up. Not only is your faith as a deacon built and, and does it grow stronger, but the faith of others is built up because we work together for the good of the people of God. The church is unified. 
when there was division in the early church, the apostles said, appoint seven men. And when those seven men were appointed and they got to work, suddenly there was great unity and there was great growth and there was great grace in the Lord's church. Again, deacons can help make that happen. New converts are multiplied. There is an opportunity for evangelism. And as deacons take the lead, not only in encouraging others to be evangelistic, but in doing so themselves, the church is blessed. I'll tell you this, those of you who are elders and deacons, the local body here, and this goes for preachers too, Jordan, the local body here, and I'm talking to me too, will never be more evangelistic than the leadership. As a general rule, the local church will never have a greater desire to save the world than the leadership does, never. Souls are brought to Christ because people care. And may it start with the elders and the deacons and the ministers in the local church. Ultimately, when deacons serve well, God is glorified. You wanna know why the elders have decided now is a good time to add deacons? because they want God to be glorified here in Katy more than anything else. They want him to be lifted up and exalted and by appointing additional men to serve as deacons to fill some roles that need to be, feeded, need to be filled and have been vacant for quite a while, some of them. By doing that, the church will be built up and God will receive the glory. So what you're being asked to do is on your way out this morning, get a, get a sheet, ask some men that you believe fit the qualifications that we've talked about this morning, if they are willing to serve as a deacon, if they would consider it, ask them that. If they say yes, put their name on the sheet and turn that in. You've got a week and a half to get that done. I know you've probably already got some people in mind. That's great. But help the elders in this regard. It'll help them to understand where your heart is as a congregation. It'll help them to understand where they ought to be looking as well as shepherds. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. If you want to obey the gospel today, there is no better time than the present to do that. Believe in Jesus Christ. He is the one who died for you. Believe that he came and he's the only way that you could ever be right with God. Confess his name, repent of your sin, be baptized in water for the remission of your sin. If you need to respond to Christ this morning in that way, or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, we're happy to do that. Won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing?